Hello and welcome to the Fintech Marketing Podcast. I'm Mariette Ferreira. In today's episode, we want to look at what it really takes to build a finance brand. Now, money and trust go hand in hand. But how do you build a brand in fintech and financial services and build trust without defaulting to serious and corporate? And why do so many fintechs and banks start looking and sounding the same? But before we get into it, let's hear from our sponsor. Does your brand stand out in the crowded marketplace of fintech? As the world's leader in digital payments, partnering with Visa can help you to uncover what makes your brand exceptional. Whatever your payment plans, Visa is on hand with the expertise, programs, solutions, and partner networks to help make it happen. Bring your big idea to life. Partner with Visa to do it bigger and faster. Visit visa.co.uk forward slash fintech. So I have some fantastic guests with me shaping some of the hottest brands in fintech. We'll learn a bit more about what they do and how they do it. So let me introduce them. So joining me here today, we have Abba Newbury, CMO at Habito. How are you doing today, Abba? Very good. How are you? And thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great. And just to clear that up for everyone, it's Habito, not Habito, right? Definitely Habito. Fantastic. We also have Jasper Martin, CMO at Pensionbee. Thanks for joining us, Jasper. It's nice to be on the show, Mariette. Fantastic. And next... Cien Weresinger, CMO at WISE. Welcome to the podcast, Cien. Great. Excited to be here. And last, but by no means least, we have my colleague, Will Jones, Head of Design at 11FS. How are you doing, Will? Yeah, I'm not too bad. It's great to be uh, taking part today. Fantastic. So let's dive in. I want to start with trust because it's so core to brands in financial services. Now, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and it was triggered by Habito's Kamasutra campaign. It just broke so many traditional rules for financial services marketing that I couldn't help but pay attention. I wonder how a financial services brand can get away with it. How do you create and promote a Kamasutra book and still be taken seriously? Now, for me, it feels like fintechs are reinventing what trust looks like. But Abba, I'd love to hear how you answered this question when no doubt this came up with the exec and the board. I can't believe you don't think it's a logical step to go from mortgages to the Kama Sutra. Yeah, it's, a really, it's, an, it's an interesting one, right? Because I think with a, with a category like financial services, it can be very easy to think, oh, well, people are going to think rationally in this category, therefore we need to give them kind of rational, fact-based advertising. And actually, certainly in something like mortgages and maybe, I guess, uh, Jasper, for, for you in something like pensions, the bigger the purchase, the more irrational we actually become right the less kind of like normal our decision making is because you know that the counter side to trust is fear right so I guess the way that we've tried to break through this kind of trust conundrum is just to be deeply empathetic so as crazy as our advertising and our marketing may look it's always rooted in like a truth about how people feel about this category and yeah, the reason why we got to got to to do a Karma Sutra, we actually made an erotic novel this year with Rocky Flintstone, the guy from my dad wrote a porno, is because we surveyed our customers and one in five of them told us that they stopped having sex as a result of getting their mortgage because it was so stressful. And so this was just a humorous take on that to say that's it's not acceptable. We want you to have more sex. And of course, once it's rooted in a deep deep customer truth that they recognize in themselves, you can get away, I think, with quite an outrageous sense of humor, which does then like further build that trust because you're shown to be, you know, rule breaking and and confident. 
I find that so interesting because your points around fear and trust resonates across so many different sectors and financial services, right? So Jasper, you know, on the other end, pensions, you know, I think a lot of people just, you know, don't even want to think about it. They don't understand it. So, you know, rather not. But taking, I'm not sure how you take a cue from ABBA on that one. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to struggle here. I have to be honest, ABBA. Uh, although I have to uh, applaud ABBA on those campaigns. I think you're hitting the right spot here in terms of, is it a rational decision? Uh, of course, absolutely. It's a big decision, isn't it? And I think when you are building a brand, is the answer of building trust even more detailed fact sheet of the fund you invested in with all the detailed informations? Or in our case, asking the question, how does pension B make you feel? And suddenly, when you get answers back from those customers, in our case, it was a sense of relief. Oh, I've got this finally sorted. I've got it finally done. It's been nagging in the, for, in my back of my head for like years. And if you can translate that feeling, then aside from the dry sack information, and I think with mortgages, you will still send that information to your customer. But it's also about, in our case, how did pension B make you feel? And then people make much more decisions based on those emotions rather than just focusing on the rational side. Because if you're just focusing on the rational side, actually, you will invoke inertia. People won't actually do anything. They just stick with what they know that they will move. So I think it's just a really interesting one. And for every fintech to figure out, not just fintech, by the way, but in this particular setting, fintech to figure out what drives your customer to come to your product. But Sian, if if you had to write a new rule book to build brand trust in financial services, what's in it? I think when we, I look back at how we approached it, so the heart of the problem we were solving and the mission we had around transparency, I think that product mission truth leading to a product truth in terms of how we express ourselves into our consumers when they interact with our product, like came to life in our brand truths and our brand activity. So you may remember, we also had quite a lot of naked people outside the Bank of England and including our two founders who, uh, yeah, I'm sure are still uh, up for taking their clothes off every so often, which made it feel not just like a stunt, but like really sort of highlighting the issue that we were trying to fight against. I think that's when you can do something different if there's this truth running all the way through from why you exist, what problem you're solving, through to how you express that in marketing, and then you can build a brand that that lasts. Yeah, you hit on sort of quite a few things there. And I think transparency, (laughs) I think, was actually at the center of your Naked Streets campaign, right? And I think as long as you have that core message, then even if it is a stunt, you can tie that back to your core message. And it's something you have to like, transparency is the hardest one to be authentic about because you have to do it in everything you do internally, externally. And I think that, you know, it's easy to say you're transparent, but you have to commit to that, which creates that credibility as well. Trust is usually the trump card for big banks and traditional players, right? I mean, there there is a lot to be said for stability. So when it comes to adjusting their messaging and their campaigns, etc., why do you think they struggle so much with the new playbook, if you will, of building trust? I think it's difficult when you don't necessarily have brand permission to be incredibly bold. And when you also have like quite a large footprint across the world because taking sort of some of the big banks, um, 
like some of the things that we've just been talking about culturally wouldn't work outside of say the UK or or another region and, and vice versa if you're trying something elsewhere. So I think there's a big kind of inertia to feel that your brand has to consistently speak in a way that's okay because your customer base is very, very diverse. And I guess there are other sides where they, they're not necessarily targeting a specific set of individuals with a specific set of features and trying to grow around this this idea and this movement and this cultural connection. So actually to focus in on an idea, and I think uh, Abba touched on this, it's finding a truth out about your customer in this space that you're trying to serve. If you're not serving a very specific space, it's kind of, it's difficult to find that out about them and it to feel authentic to every single one of your customers because you kind of represent loads of people. And I think as well, there's things that build trust with fintechs in the small moments, just as much as like the big messaging, the way that small fintechs and, and young brands can respond to things when they go wrong in a much more nimble way, in a much more authentic way that feels like they're on their side and fixing things immediately. That's a big change for much larger traditional organizations to make. So it doesn't matter what you put out there in marketing, if when everything goes wrong, people are just experiencing something quite bad and something quite full of friction. Abba, do you think um, your campaign would have worked if you were 10 times the size? Yes. The emotion is the same for all mortgage holders. There's 11 million people who have a mortgage in the UK. They'll all explain to you the, the horror of the process and all the things they say are the, the, the same. So yes, this can definitely work when we're 10 times bigger. Were you under any... I don't know, let's call it pressure, to try and make the connection from your campaign through to sales to take that brand message and turn it into a product message? This is not asking for trade secrets, by the way. It's more from a campaign perspective. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's, there's two different bits in your question. Am I under pressure to show the returns on the brand campaign in short-term and long-term sales? Yes, absolutely. Um you know, that's, that's absolutely what you have to do in marketing every single day for a fintech. Was I under pressure to show the product in marketing? I guess that it, that is one of the hardest things to, to balance is, um, you know, is in an engineering product-led culture. That's the, that's the expectation, right? That's the perceived wisdom. But we had, we would deliberately took a brand-led approach um, and saw no benefit in that brand-led approach of showing a screenshot of a mortgage application page on a mobile. We didn't see it as additive to the memory. And as long as the memory structures that we were creating in the advertising and the marketing were going to be like true and front and center in the product, it didn't seem that that kind of classic visual was going to do anything for us at all. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've got a question for you, Jasper. What would go in your trust playbook? We talked about transparency here, responsiveness. Anything else that would go in your playbook? Simplicity is part of the mission of Pension B, and it's definitely something that you wouldn't expect a pension to be. I think one of the things that we've had in our stripes when we started Pension B was the fact, would you trust all your life savings with a startup? I wouldn't. So why would you? That was the big challenge. And working with 
established money managers like State Street or BlackRock or Legal in general is one of the ways where you can leverage like trust from big institutions and actually bring that to your product. So that's what we've done. Having a 100% FSCS guarantee without an upper limit, not just £85,000 for investments, but actually if you've got a half a million with us and we go bust, half a million is protected. All of these things do really help in, in building that trust. But I would, I would argue transparency, simplicity, one of the things that newcomers can really bring to a market that needs to be changed is absolutely uh, spot on. Also on previous comment from, from ABBA, we've made a mistake early on by having a billboard with a yellow background and a phone and our product on it. And yes, it did. You know, you, you do get a response. I think once we've actually started to translate some of these trust elements and add that to pension B message, the emotional layering in our billboards. Once we remove those screens and we're actually starting to present those emotions on a, in our advertising, th- things really started to grow exponentially. So I think it's just a, it's been a big le- uh, learning curve for me being part of the pension B team. Don't just put a phone on a, on a billboard because if you change yellow for green, God, you might think we're another brand. <laughs> I love that. I think that's a key insight number one here. <laughs> but Sian, so if if you are running brand-led, emotion-led campaigns, maybe sometimes pushing the envelope, maybe that's all f- okay or finding well for new players for if you're building a brand from scratch. But I'm interested to know how you maintain that connection if you're going through a rebrand and you change your brand identity? Yeah, I started, I think, March the 1st, the day we uh, renamed the company. So it's been an interesting uh, three months. I mean, what made it easy was the fact we had very strong visual identity. So from the design, look and feel, sort of traditional brand aspects of our TransferWise brand, you know, we had very strong iconography with our flag fast flag icon, which which came through. And we weren't changing our name that much. Like we're just removing a bit of it. And there was a nice narrative story about why we were changing our name, which could come through in terms of our comms to our users. What was good is that we had like really great existing engagement through social and email. And we had a really like carefully planned, creative comms and sort of analytical plan of how we manage that transition. So it actually turned out to be a lot easier than we thought to maintain that sort of connected relationship with our customers, take them through that rebrand journey and kind of get them to understand why we're no longer called TransferWise, because we're way more than just transfers. I had to ask. (laughs) There you go. So moving on, I'd like to talk a bit about what we at 11FS call fintech branding. Noel and his team uh, recently published a branding handbook to give fintechs guidance on building an impactful but lean brand. They call it minimum lovable brand. Will, can you give us a quick summary of what minimum lovable brand is? I have to say that slowly. And also explain what we mean by fintech branding. Yeah, sure. And I think the, the first thing to say is this is very much something that is aimed at benefiting sort of young businesses, people that are trying to bring a product to market and at that very first phase. And it was sort of borne out from the fact that we'd seen some new companies, some new brands, just bringing a product to market with the sole focus on answering a user need and having a function and not necessarily thinking about what it's saying to someone through the way it looks and the way it's communicated. And at the other end of things, we'd seen people engaging a, a big branding agency, you know, to do 12 months work before they'd even put anything in customers' hands and really found out what their value was or what they meant to people as they started to use the product. We put together sort of an approach and some practical canvases that 
much like sort of the idea of minimum level product, it's sort of limiting what you produce to the essentials to get that love from your your early adopters, but not spending loads of money on a letterhead and a, and a billboard if really the first place you're starting, you're going to launch it in digital. So it's looking at an approach that is digital first, and it's also baked into product sprint. So it's not this this idea of brand that you do that on the side while building a product because the first place people are going to interact with this, firstly, after any marketing they come through, they're going to be onboarded through, a, let's face it, most likely an app these days. And that's where you really cement that initial relationship with the user. So how's it actually going to come through this brand that you want to be? But to work out that brand that you want to be, how do you go beyond just working out what a user need is or a job to be done and actually do a bit more of a deeper cultural understanding of the conversations that are happening around the problems that your product tries to solve and also a bit more of the sort of push and pull and the tensions of that culture that you're trying to serve, both sort of visually and also how your brand can form an authentic response to the issues it's trying to address in what's lacking in in the customers that are spoken to. So... A lean approach, basically saying, focus on uh, culture as well as customer needs. Make sure that you start with a real purpose, and that's a brand purpose that can have longevity beyond just your initial product purpose, and take a digital-first approach. And that's something that we've sort of put into practice on, on recent recent engagements as well. And I think it just it says do enough, but don't do so much that you can't change when you find out you're a completely different thing to what you started out to be. Um, I want to use that as a segue to talk a bit about brand purpose. Now, of course, helping to shape your own unique story, brand purpose and brand story is a key part of that. Uh, and Jasper feels like this sits at the heart of a lot of the work that you've been doing at Pinch Me to connect with your audience. So why is brand purpose and the way that you tell that story so important? People will remember you. That's the short answer. At Pension B, we want uh, everybody to look forward to a happy retirement. So we're making pensions simple and engaging. And that's always been at the heart from everything we do. And, you know, our product is different from what it was five years ago, just on Will's point. Your product can absolutely change. Your brand purpose can stay the same. It's more of that long-term view. And having that purpose to, you know, and it's in this case, to help everybody to get a really good retirement, looking forward to a happy retirement. That's something you can get customers on board with the, uh, the long term, not just when you get them at the right moments when they want to combine their old pensions and move them to pension B. But what about after that? What do you want them to do with your product, with your brand, with their engagement? So I think that's why brand purpose is so important. Uh, ultimately, when the purpose is aligned, the customers will stay. So, you know, looking at your attention rate in this case or your churn is, I think, quite vital. Purpose can change too, by the way. So one of the things that I found very interesting, we, we probably, you know, we could talk about it a little bit later, is that aside from that mission we, we're on with Pension B, our customers told us very much early in the process that they found it increasingly important how their money was invested. So we listened to our customers and got, went back to the money managers who had, the customers didn't want their money invested in weapon manufacturers or in oil companies, etc. There wasn't a product around. There were some products, but they were very expensive, very niche. It took us a year to work with the money managers, uh, eventually legal in general, and we launched a new fund, the Fossil Fuel Free Pension, which is a 
you know, not a UK's first, but it's a mainstream fund that has the same price as a regular pension. But that's what our customers asked for. And suddenly, suddenly other values come to our brand when, you know, it's not just about, I want the best possible return for my retirement. But in this case, also, I want to change the way money is invested so I can look forward to a happy retirement, but also so do future generations. And that's why this product came about. So brand purpose is a really interesting concept, I believe. I mean, I think you're right, Jasper. We've changed our purpose over the course of the last four years, but we actually haven't changed our marketing campaign. So our kind of founding purpose was to set people free from the hell of mortgages. And that's where we ended up stumbling across this kind of insight of the sheer horror that people have gone through. And that horror takes many forms, losing money, the stress, etc. Our purpose is now to help people find home, which reflects the broadening of our product proposition. But actually, if we played out help people find home in our marketing, you might very quickly end up in you know nationwide territory where you show happy people in their homes brought to you by Nationwide. So our purpose totally reflects what we're going to try and achieve as a company, but we've made the conscious decision to stick to our original insight about the fear and the rage and the emotion and the stress that people are facing. And that's, of course, still true to the overall mission to help people find home. It's just it's just the negative converse to, to the dream. What if you don't have a greater social purpose, though? What if you just have a functional product or service that fixes things, that solves customer problems? Does your brand purpose have to be, uh, I don't want to sound flippant, saving the world, does it have to be for gr- the greater social good? I think ultimately the business would have been founded for a reason and often that's solving a problem. And there's often a story with the founder about why they picked that problem and why they've worked so hard to solve it. And if you can embed that into your mission, that can turn into your brand purpose without needing to be saving the world. Like in in our example, Christo, the founder, discovered that he was being overcharged sending money back home and really decided to fix that. And I think that narrative has continued for 10 years in everything we do. Uh, and hopefully is uh, resonates with consumers as well. Yeah, I feel like that's a really great example where you lean into like solving a customer problem and just keep telling the same story. And obviously you can execute that campaign or the story in different ways, but you stick to your story. Will, any advice for any new or even f- existing financial services brands trying to find their voice? Yeah, I mean... I think one thing we, we touched on it earlier, and I didn't didn't actually uh, respond to it. This idea of fintech blending, and that is to say that don't try and solve the same problems as someone else with the same feature set and look the same. Because I think if you're doing all of those things, that's like a recipe for sort of blending in a little bit. If you're doing one of those things in a unique way, it's it's kind of all right. Because, um, and I think you know everyone on this call has been talking about some of the really interesting and unique ways that not only be talking about their product, but where it's come from uh, and how it's sort of manifested. But having that understanding of not just wanting to have that shorthand for, oh, I've got a, uh, I've got a sans serif font and I've got a nice color palette and I'm going to uh, show my UI in, in a lot of my marketing. That's something that came out from this. Like That's a surefire way of someone going, oh, that's a fintech, but it's not a surefire way of someone going, I understand what outcome 
this is going to give to me and that's where and we've spoken about it a lot just having your 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 purpose like prevalent and the outcomes that you give to people in the way that you speak to them not necessarily the mechanics of how your product works because i think in a lot of cases like applying for a mortgage if that's as invisible as possible that's great for me because it's stressful and the same with my pension i want a really good sense that it's just working for me and the less we're hammering home the real mechanics of how these things work and almost selling that outcome that's the feeling and the uniqueness i think that needs to come across you know how you look and and the features that you have they're just what's solving that problem and there's also another thing i wanted to highlight with uh, if if you wouldn't do that you actually will get quite a lot of customers when you start. So when you start out a new brand, and the reality is that you put some digital marketing campaigns on, let's put my yellow background and my phone on it, and with the with the strap line, and let's get going, right? And you've got the you've got the acquisition machine going, credit, company credit cards uh, to the Facebook account, and let's go. The reality is that you will attract a kind of customer you might not want to attract, or you might actually that wouldn't be your target customer. So listening to customer feedback can be dangerous if you start it off that way, because it might not be the kind of target customer. The real customer is still hiding somewhere and you haven't been able to convince them to join your brand or to sign up simply because you haven't got the proposition right. You haven't got the messaging right. They didn't got it on Will's point, like, you know, fancy phone, but what's the outcome of this particular product? So it's very, it's very dangerous sometimes to rely on this early customer feedback. Those customers will go to the next color background and phone if that product comes to the market. You 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 know, churn rate will go massively through the roof. So it's just to bear that in mind that sometimes it's the, the easy way is not always the best way to get started with your branding and your fintech brands. Ever does that mean if you want to build longer term brand success that you invest in brand first rather than acquisition first when you're building your team? I think it's a luxury to be able to do it that way around. I think it is the right way around, but I think like you wouldn't get off the ground quickly enough. I think that's, I love, the, I love um, the ideas that Will is talking about, but I think really you should be talking about brand from day one and talking about it every day because ultimately you've got to have a strong sense of brand to be able to, as Jasper says, be acquiring the right customers, building the product in the right way. And I think a lot of, particularly fintech businesses get to a stage where they've kind of got to, they can't grow anymore through the classic acquisition or PPC channels. And then they start the brand thinking. And now it feels like an enormous leap from a Google ad to a poster or a television ad. And you haven't tested anything along the way. You really got to think about your brand from day one and test those lovable elements and not think that it's just product versus brand versus marketing and i think that's what you're saying will right yeah it's one story because ultimately the even the proposition and the things you build should be rooted from the brand that you've started to create i think because otherwise you're going to end up building things for people that like like jasper said you're not the kind of people you're not trying to attract to your product because you haven't decided who you want to be and who you serve and what the you know the real problems that they have and how you're creating an authentic reaction to that that should drive your roadmap just as much as those first interactions you see when you bring it to market. So yeah, I definitely agree with you. 
Sian, any thoughts on this? I know you've got a lot of history and background and performance and data. So I'm sure the sort of data side of you is thinking, yes, but you need to test and you need to sort of see the data and see the results. But now you also have a, a, a really strong brand that you can balance it out with. So any thoughts on this? So I think the word brand has many meanings depending on who you're talking to and what they are actually trying to um, talk to you about, whether it is like a very clearly defined purpose, who are you for, why are you better, why people should love you, how people should recommend you through to like which marketing channel you're executing in through to what measurement framework you're um, using to decide whether you should spend more and uh, how much more. I definitely agree with Albert, like getting your muscle in this domain early avoids the unfortunate and difficult pain of having to tackle it later in your journey. Uh, and whether you do that because of the fact that, you know, you have tested things. So at Secret Escapes, we went into TV early and used it as a brand response channel. So we we're able to apply both, you know, the analytical side of marketing as well as the creative side, or whether at Wise, you know, PR and stunt seem to be the biggest way to draw attention to the issue and by proxy created our brand and helped us define who we are and what we are for. So I think I, I totally agree. You just can't leave it till the point where your other performance channels don't work. You just have to find the way you explore it as you, as you grow. Fantastic. We're just going to take a quick break here. We'll be back very shortly. Looking to sharpen your competitive edge when it comes to design? Join hundreds of subscribers using 11FS Pulse to solve their users' problems and get to market faster. Discover over 4,000 user journeys from global brands like Revolut, Curve, and Soldo, and learn how to design winning customer propositions with our expert analysis. Get started today by visiting bit.ly forward slash get a pulse demo. In this second part of the show, we want to focus on using your brand equity for good. Now, brands sometimes have more power than they use constructively. With Pride Month running again in June, I'm wondering how you think brands can help support inclusion in fintech whilst avoiding bandwagon jumping. Jasper, any thoughts on this? Well, I generally get annoyed when brands jump on that bandwagon and apparently it's, you know, it's getting more and more. I think it should be like diversity and inclusion needs to be ingrained in your brand and it needs to be showcased throughout the year. And if you then want to showcase that during Pride Month, that's absolutely fine. I just feel like too many brands are using it as a tick box exercise to add that to their brand list. So, you know, being a gay man myself, I'm just at some often at the receiving end of all of that brand advertising. And it's just not really helpful at all. Quite strong opinion on that one. Anyone else? Any thoughts? Any tips or uh, watch outs for brands during the month of June? Yeah, I totally agree. We're, as marketers, we have great responsibility in terms of like who we put in front of the camera, how they're portrayed, who we work with, and that's something you do all year, not just in June. You know, you know, in terms of the amount of money we invest in advertising, making creative work, we can do great things in terms of portraying, normalizing uh, diversity in our work, as well as working with agencies who try to do that as well. So I think it's you know it's something that we have to sign up to as marketing organizations and just work hard at it constantly. Abba, do you think there's anyone that's doing it well that we can learn from? I think I think it's really hard. I mean, we're very proud to be a B Corp at Habitose. So we're people and planet at the same level as profit. We're, we're proud of doing that. Do we market it? No. Do we shout about it a lot? No. 
does it run through our marketing decisions? Absolutely, in terms of who we kill with mortgage stress. You'll see a diverse cast of characters, but also like in financial services themselves, some of the bank's decision-making tools, they cannot be as orientated towards diversity. And so we are kind of challenging that. We do a lot around financial literacy, which we think is incredibly important. It's not very interesting. It's not worth talking about. It's one of those things which is, you know, don't tell me you're funny, make me laugh. So we just do financial literacy rather than say as And I agree with Jasper. I think, I think if you are having to say something in June, you've probably got it wrong. Unless there is something very specific, like a very specifically tailored product or, or something. But other than that, I always feel like when you go to, you know, when you go to a big accountancy firm and a big law firm and you get that big sign, I'm, I'm a gay woman, and you get that big sign outside saying, we like the gays. And you're like, if you've had to say that, I think you might have a problem in your business. Yeah, absolutely. It's like uh, we love the gays and the next <laughs> month is safety NHS. And it's kind of like it just doesn't really work. The real proof is in the pudding in terms of can you show what your gender pay gap is in a company? Can you show the percentage of the gender split in a, a management team? All of these things, they matter. And you don't have to shout about it. You can just be like it. And that's all you need to do. Will? I don't have too much to add beyond that, but other than the fact that you need representation in the decision-making room, because I'm aware that no one needs another straight white man like myself to comment on how anyone should be attacking these things. And remembering that you're not using a cause to give your brand a stronger voice. You are using your brand to give that cause a voice. And if you aren't able to do that or in a unique position to do that in a way that actually genuinely helps someone, don't bother. Just <laughs> do all of the things internally so you're in that position where you can do it. Like, like the guys were saying, it, it happens in a company, not about what you put out there. And that's where it has to start. I feel if the only takeaway from this for marketers listening, for marketing managers that get the request from the CEO next month or from the CMO, God, I hope it's not from the CMO, but if they get the request for the for the social media posts or for the, the banner outside the building, this is a call for them to just push back. If you're, if you're not doing anything that that's actually helping those causes, then, then push back and say no. So there's a call from all of us to be strong. <laughs> So lastly, any advice for marketers managing a fintech brand? Any learnings, tips or watchouts to share, Sian? It's a, it's a bit of a journey. I think when you come to a brand that has existed, there's like legacy and heritage that everyone's quite um, careful about. But you have to stay nimble, adapt, be brave. You know, the world changes, your environment changes. Listen to your customers. And I think one mantra we use internally a lot is ask yourself how you'd explain your decision to a customer. I think when you say that out loud, you sort of just make sure you're doing making the right decision because uh, it's quite easy to listen to yourself quite a lot of the time. I like that. I, I think um, sometimes those messages sound much better in the boardroom or in the meeting than if you had to explain it to a customer. Jasper? I think the advice I would give a tip is don't treat acquisition and brand building separately. If you can use your brand in your acquisition advertising, then you should do so. So you don't end up with that problem of being absolutely stretched on your performance channels. TV can be treated as more or less performance-based. Things like radio advertising, 
Facebook advertising, Instagram advertising, TikTok advertising, it doesn't really matter. And use your brand from day one, I would say, and, you know, persist. Ever? Yeah, I, I love um, Jasper's advice about kind of using your brand within your acquisition marketing. But I just think working in fintech as a marketer is, there's probably no better job, if I'm honest. Um, and I think, like, make the most of it. Be brave, because those are the brands that are going to stand out and win. And Wise, Transfer Wise was, is, is a fantastic example of that. Don't be afraid of being accountable. You're never going to get a chance to be this accountable ever again because you're going to be able to see every measurement happen. So make the most of it because in two years, three years later, when there's much more noise, kind of the understanding the rudiments of your business today will be super helpful. And I guess the other thing is I always get asked, and I don't know whether it's the same is true um, of my fellow panelists, but I always get asked, what's my playbook? Like there is this formula I've written down and every week and every year it's going to be the same. And I guess I don't I know absolutely nothing about American sports, but I know that you get a draft pick, right? And that's when you get someone new into the team. And I think marketing for a fintech is like that. You need to bring in a first draft into your marketing mix all the time. See how that shifts, see how things shake it up. Because if you're not changing, you're always going to reach that next level of plateauing. So constantly changing what you can change, particularly with the benefit, as I said, of having a visibility of the numbers, which is much harder when you get uh, bigger. And yeah, just just make make the most of it. It's a dream job. I love that. Will, anything to add? Well, I mean, I, I definitely don't uh, qualify as a marketing manager of a fintech brand, but I will, for, for what um, Abba said, be brave is what I was going to say, but I would say do that from the start because otherwise it's a lot harder if you've been very serious for three years and then you're uh, you're trying to tell people you're fun. Um, and the other thing, I suppose just be aware of not just your company, but literally everything else that's going on. You're not the only people that your customers are looking at. And Maybe you have some advice as well, Marianne. I've been keeping note of all of this because, I mean, even for me, to be frank, I'm, I'm learning from this. So we've got uh, listen to your customers, use your brand from day one, be brave from the start. Don't be afraid to be accountable and embrace change. And I mean, I'm not going to try and top that. I feel like that's that's a fantastic takeaway for our listeners. So on that note, that wraps us up for today. Thank you all so much for joining me. Where can people find out more about you and your companies? Jasper? Go to Twitter at PensionB or go to PensionB.com or download the app from the App Store. That's PensionB. One word. Jasper, are you on LinkedIn and Twitter and all those things as well? Yes. Jasper Martins on LinkedIn, Jasper Martins on Twitter. One word. Abba? Habito.com. Very simple. If you type it into Google, don't click the thing with the ad on the side. I don't need to pay for that. And yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn mainly as Abba and Packham79 on Twitter. Sian? Wise.com is our new home. Follow us on Instagram. I enjoy our stories we do on that. Yeah, and I'm on um, LinkedIn if you can spell my surname. And Will? Well, 11fs.com. And you're best reaching me on LinkedIn at the moment. I'm currently at war with Twitter to let me back into my account. So no point in contacting me there. (laughs) I feel like that's another episode. But uh, you could also find me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, I'm at Mariette FER and of course, all things 11FS at 11FS.com. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It helps us to make it better and helps others to find the show. 
As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media, just search for 11FS or Fintech Marketing Podcast, or email podcasts at 11FS.com. Thank you very much and goodbye.